Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. That music you hear by the one and only Sam Brandt, expiring musician extraordinaire. We're presented, as always, by betonline.ag. They're your online sportsbook experts. Of course, the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget that promo code PODCAST1. Receive that 50% sign-up bonus today. BetOnline.ag. Special podcast today on the business of sports. Jenny Ventris is a writer for Sports Illustrated. She and I were hired along with several others when the Sports Illustrated franchise started something called the MMQB, Looking Inside Football, headed by Peter King. We started publication on July 13th, 2013. Jenny and I are still at it six years later, more than six and a half years later where others have come and gone, including Peter King. So the last of the band of brothers and sisters is Jenny and I. Jenny's on the podcast. Jenny ventured out of writing about football this week and wrote about Megan Rapino. She's the Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year. Jenny wrote the article about her. Jenny's been following her for quite some time. It is a magnificent tour de force piece. It really goes into the woman, the soccer player, the athlete, the person, the family member, in a way that few people get to athletes the way that Jenny got got into her and you come out of it saying, wow, I did not know that. It's a great piece. So I wanted to get Jenny on the podcast, a longtime colleague and friend, and talking about it. So she is talking about it on the Business of Sports podcast this week. We'll get to that in a minute. Jenny Ventris with Megan Rapino. First, my rant of the week, I want to just talk a minute about the business of baseball as we sit here major free agent contracts have gone out in the past few days for the cream of the crop, and they all seem to be represented by Scott Boris, the super agent in the sport of baseball. Hundreds of millions of dollars, $320 million for Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg, $245 million, a big deal for Anthony Rendon and Moustakas, all of them, again, Boris clients. Quick contrast to the winter of 1819, where this time of year you had those two marquee free agents, again, Boris clients, Manny Machado and, of course, Bryce Harper. They didn't sign in early December. They didn't sign in late December. They didn't sign in January. They didn't sign in February. They signed in March on the eve of spring training. Just amazing. I think spring training had actually started. Um, Think about that. Think about how long it took for the marquee free agents to sign a year ago And, of course, everyone backed up by that behind them, waiting to find their destination after the market was set with the two premier guys. It's just so different this year, and we'll see if that extends to the middle-class tier of free agents as well. But here we are, early December, and the big names are off the market. A couple things to note about the contracts. I know everyone's going to jump at the big numbers which are extraordinary when you talk about $324 million, It's like $330 million last year for Harper. Uh, it, just, it just jumps off the page. And, of course, as I always say, it's not like the NFL where they pay you one or two or years and then it's kind of, uh, we'll see. It's guaranteed. And that's what these agents now, especially Boris, seem to be after as much as the money. But the guarantee of the years, and we... You know, we're still dumbfounded by the Phillies giving 13 years to Bryce Harper, which is extraordinary. He's got 12 left. 
But again, the Garrett Cole nine years and Steven Strasberg seven years, what jumps off the page to me, even more than the money is the years. Because again, when you talk about football and the lack of guarantees past the low risk early years, then it's like, okay, you know, whatever the years, it doesn't really matter. You know, the team will take 10 years. They're really one way options for the team after the first two years. But in baseball, the years are real. So it's the players, the agents that want the years. And they're getting them at the top of the market, certainly with Harper getting 13 and now Garrett Cole nine years. We'll see if they last those deals with the team that they sign with or whether they're flushed out or whether they're bought out. But it doesn't really matter financially. It matters, you know, for the team. But for the player, it's all set. They're set. Garrett Cole could slip in the shower and never play again. Or he could throw up, burst out his arm training with the Yankees. And it's it's. It's money. It's his. So uh, the years argument, just making that distinction again, NFL teams want years. They want years. It's only beneficial to them. Major League Baseball and basketball teams, but we'll stick to baseball, they don't like years. They'd rather give you a one or two or three year deal because they're, it's all guaranteed for the players. So the fact that these stars are getting massive years on their deals is even more striking than getting the big numbers that they are. The numbers are extraordinary. You know, the kind of numbers you will never see in in football in our lifetimes. I will say that in terms of guarantees. We're never going to see a $300 million guaranteed contract in football. I mean, somebody else may do, be doing a podcast 50 years from now talking about it, but I doubt it. You know, I would say never. <laughs> so uh, that's what we see in baseball. So that's my rant of the week. And uh, just sort of the business of baseball, as striking as it may be, with the money, even more so with the years, because years are gold for players. Years are gold for teams in football. Years are gold for players in baseball. Now let's transition to my guest. Jenny Ventress is my colleague. Again, we're kind of the lone rangers left from the MMQB that started July of 2013. The only ones from that band that are still together are me and Jenny. And Jenny just expanded beyond football, wrote this incredible piece on football and another kind. So that's my rant. And now it's time for Jenny Ventress talking about the soccer player of the year, the sports person of the year, the woman of the year, in many people's eyes, her story on the Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year, Megan Rapino. Jenny, really good to have you with me. Thanks for having me on, Andrew. I appreciate it. You know, you were talking. You know, I were talking before we came on here about you venturing out um, beyond football. What I think a lot of our listeners know you for is all your good columns on the MMQB going into locker rooms, being kind of an on-the-ground football reporter. But you ventured out here in one of the great articles, I think, of the year, uh, really a look inside the sports person of the year for Sports Illustrated, Megan Rapino. Just sort of talk about how you got to do this story. And if I'm not mistaken, I think you sort of were doing some reporting on her earlier in the run-up uh, with the World Cup. So take us inside that, if you would. Yeah, so you're right. I did a story in a run-up to the World Cup about how she had grown over time, not just as a player, but also her voice off the field. And she obviously had this amazing World Cup. She won the Golden Boot for the top goal scorer, and she 
delivered on all of these penalty kicks, which is such a high-pressure thing to do in sports. And she was really the face of the team. You know, she was publicly challenged by the president during the World Cup and responded with the pose that has become so iconic. So I think there really was no, uh, you know, there was no discussion, really. She was the clear pick. She was the clear winner. She was really the defining uh, sports figure of 2019. And so I was really excited to have the chance to, to do the story. It's it's obviously something a well, little bit different I, you know, than the NFL. And you, the thing about her is that she's so open and honest. And, you know, that makes it really great as a writer. But it also is a challenge because you feel like you have such a responsibility to share her story accurately. It's a big deal to the sportsman, sportsperson of the year sounds like you had some input on that. Did you get involved with that choice? Yeah, I did. Through the World Cup, he was texting with, with Chris Stone, our editor-in-chief at the time, just about this amazing World Cup that she was having and what she represents. And, you know, we continued the conversations after. Usually they try to make the pick after Labor Day, and so this year it, it was right. sort of official in September. But um, we definitely – after the World Cup, it seemed like there wasn't going to be anyone that was going to transcend the kind of impact that she had both on and off the field. So just following up that one quick follow-up to that is, so it was kind of kept under wraps since since July, or were you kind of waiting to see if there'd be a moment of someone else or football, basketball, baseball, something would happen? Or was it kind of, was it kind of uh, there's no way that's going to change once you got past the World Cup? I haven't been involved in the process before, but my yeah. understanding is they usually don't finalize a decision until after Labor Day, uh, just to make sure enough of the calendar year has gone by. But, yeah, I I found it very hard to believe that there would be anything else that would happen that would be so transformative on a national, on a world scale as what Megan did this year. Let's unpack the story a little bit, and I encourage anyone and everyone to read it. You really uncovered a lot of sides to this woman. And I think that is really, you know, that really peels back an onion that I don't think a lot of people see. She's from, as you call it, as she calls it, Trump country, right? And here's this woman that has railed against some of the thoughts or or thinking that our president has and upset not only people uh, throughout the country, but people in her own town and people in her own family. Go into that, if you will. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, it's, it was, it's really interesting. I think one of the things that makes Megan's voice so strong is that she's been exposed to so many different things over the course of her life. Yeah, you know, there aren't many uh, conservative pockets in California, but she's from one of those, Redding, California, about two and a half hours north of Sacramento. Other voted for Trump, which prompted a heated Christmas Eve debate at their home uh, in the fall of 2016, after which they all said, I love you, and went to bed. Um, Mm -hmm. And at the restaurant where her mother works, her mother has been a server at Jack's Grill in downtown Reading since Megan and her twin sister, Rachel, were 22 months old. And after Megan kind of burst onto the world stage, 2011 World Cup, the 2012 Olympics, one of the bartenders had hung up Megan's photos behind the bar and on another wall of the restaurant. And uh, when she knelt in support of Colin Kaepernick to protest police brutality and systemic racism in America, 
there was some backlash from customers. And so the owner of the restaurant at the time decided that it wasn't, it was too controversial to have photos of Megan hanging up because of her in support of social justice. And so Denise came into work one day and the bartender told her that the photos had been taken down and that he didn't agree with the decision, but he just wanted to let her know if she was wondering why they weren't there anymore. So those photos are still not hanging up in the restaurant. And, you know, her parents received a lot of hate mail. Her father said he, he, you know, wasn't thrilled with her decision to kneel, but when he got the hate mail calling her unpatriotic and un-American, that really stung, and he was really maddened by that because he maybe didn't agree with the vehicle by which she chose to protest, but he respected her right to do it. So you can kind of see how she's all of these different points of view have really kind of shaped Megan and have given her this sort of full view of things, as she put it, I'm kind of in all the worlds at once. And I really think that informs where she comes from and who she is as kind of this American icon. Yeah. And you said something in there that struck me, both reading it and hearing it from you. The mom is still working at a diner or grill, whatever it is. And you know, we're used to, well, maybe maybe me more than you, I'm just used to talking about these athletes making millions, and my whole thing is the business and, and the million-dollar, multi-million-dollar contracts and the hundred-million-dollar deals, and we're seeing baseball, $300-million-dollar deals, and we don't expect mothers of these superstars to still work in grills. <laughs> and I think it comes out in the story that, that – you know, she's she's taking advantage of this time to make a lot of money in addition to all the media and, and publicity. But we're talking about really low wages compared to what we're used to in team sports here. Yeah, for an American icon, right, which is what yeah. she is now. Uh, she talked a lot. It's interesting. She obviously wants to talk about all of the topics that she does. She obviously enjoys taking the platform and the chance to talk about social issues, the things beyond soccer. But part of the reason she's been doing so many speaking engagements is also trying to see this moment in time. Because in other sports, you have a great season and you cash in with a huge contract extension. That's not the reality with their U.S. soccer contracts. To make as much money as you can, you have to keep winning, win as much as you can in one year. And as she put it, you know, put yourself in position to maybe catch lightning in a bottle and blow up. And then if you do that, you want to try to maximize that moment and do all of these appearances and all of these sponsorships and all of these corporate speaking engagements. But then you end up undevoting yourself from your sport a little bit. And because of the way the World Cup schedule is, the Women's World Cup is always the year before the Olympics. So Megan's been on this speaking tour for the last four or five months, and now she's got to be ready in January for Olympic qualifiers. So it's pretty easy to see why no one's won the Women's World Cup and then followed that up with an Olympic gold, because there's just if you win the World Cup, there's just so much chaos that ensues, and you sort of have to seize that moment to secure your financial future, which Megan has done. You know, I think she's in a good position now, but she wouldn't have been had she not seized the moment this summer the way that she did. Yeah, and then one last question about the family. I think it's really an interesting family structure because you point out, which again, we'd have no reason to know other than your reporting, is that she has a brother going through dependency issues for a long time, and she's part of kind of a, I don't know what the word is, extended family with a lot of siblings 
that aren't necessarily biological siblings. It, it's not your storybook family here from Norman Rockwell, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that really is a reflection too of, of where she come from. Is that it? It wasn't a perfect family that fit into a perfect box. You know, obviously right. there's political divides. Um, you know, it's a big. It grew a lot of big issues that they face. As you mentioned, her brother, for most of his adult life, has struggled with drug addiction and been in and out of prison for drug-related and uh, associated sentences. Um, her parents just basically did what they needed to do for their family. They were always committed to their family, right? So, you know, they have been, they've been working with you know, Brian, since he was in high school, to try to work through the addiction issues. Um, they also took in to raise his son, Austin, uh, who was born when Ra- uh, Megan and Rachel were in high school. Um, they raised uh, Megan's mother, Denise. They raised her youngest sister, who was several years younger than she was. So they they raised her as well. So, this, you know, seven seven kids all together. And it's just this, hey, you know what, you take care of your own there are a lot of things that come with being part of a big family, issues that come up and things that aren't perfect or easy, and her family dealt with it, and she's dealt with it, and I think that's given her a sense of empathy that really underlies all of the stances that she's taken. Now let's move to her, her soccer family, and this is a, you know, a question where I guess the cliche answer is, of course, everyone's supportive, everyone loves her, but I'm going to ask you and you sort of an honest answer from your perspective, any resentment among the team for all the publicity she gets and how she's become the face of the team. I mean, did you get any sense of that whatsoever? No, I didn't get any sense. I actually think it's pretty remarkable that there hasn't been that. And I think mm-hmm. it's for a couple of reasons. I think it's because she's a, she's been such a galvanizing force for the team. I think that they know that a lot of the reason that they were able to perform like they did under pressure situations was because of the way that Megan handled those pressure situations. She was this force for the team that made them think they were playing better than they might've actually been. You know, every, obviously they were dominant in the world cup, but every team has, you know, some first half that aren't great. And she was always that confidence boost for the team when Trump tweeted at her, she didn't even tweet back, you know, she just was, she, she handled it in the press conference and then she handled it on the field. And so I think because she, so much of who she is feeds into her other team teammates, I think a lot of the younger players like Sam Mewis and Rose Lavelle felt like they were able to perform on the world stage in a bigger role than they ever probably imagined, um, in part because of the way that the lead that Megan had taken up with the team, they were able to just, she would take on the big issues and some of the younger players could focus on soccer. And so, um, and I also think there was a lot of admiration for her fighting back the way that she did after she felt marginalized and felt like she was on the outs national team when she knelt in support of Kaepernick. She really fought her way back from that. And I think that really uh, became this, you know, the team, and I think that spurred a lot of them to speak up. You know, Alex Morgan at one point told me that her speaking up off the field and being one of the main voices for equal pay has a lot to do with with Megan and and her courage in taking stances. 
So I think I, I think they see her celebrating this moment as something that she's been working for for years. So I don't think that there's any resentment in that sense whatsoever. And she's a really great leader and, and teammate. Um, I do think it's hard to strike that balance when you become this mega star within a team setting. But somehow she's been able to navigate that. Yeah, and I think that's really well said about, especially about the equal pay. And I refer to everyone listening that. I've had not one but two podcasts with Jeffrey Kessler, the super agent. I'm a super lawyer for players' rights who's been suing on behalf of the U.S. women's soccer team for equal pay, which goes to trial in May. Um, I guess the question becomes her role going forward. Well, let me say this. she, Like you said, she's been out there on Kaepernick and drawn the wrath of certain segments of the population. But what impressed me, and I never knew this, then when she accepted the award, I think it was the Landor, she mentioned so many of these players that had experienced racial or sexual discrimination uh, that I hadn't heard of, that really sort of shining a light on people that haven't had that light shined on them for what they've gone through. That struck me, and that gave me, like you said, another sense of her empathy towards those who are not receiving the spotlight she is. Yeah, and I think one of the misconceptions about Megan is that she, you know, relishes in all of this, which she does in a sense. I mean, it looks like she always knows how to, like, bask in the moment. She's great at doing that, and she does so unapologetically. But at the same time, there's some guilt that she feels Uh, and some doubt that she feels, why am I here being able to celebrate when Colin Kaepernick is unemployed and he kind of lit this path that I followed? And so I think her way of countering that is to make sure that she takes the opportunity to use these platforms and talk about other people and talk about a bigger picture. So when she was at the FIFA Awards in Milan, she was named the Player of the Year, and she mentioned Raheem Sterling and Kaladu Koulibaly, who both, you know, play in front of racist chants, which is crazy to think about. And she pointed yeah. out, you know, the first uh, openly gay male player in the five main professional sports in America. Um, and there was a woman in Iran who women are banned from going to stadiums, so she set herself on fire. She snuck in and then set herself on fire to avoid the punishment she got for trying to go see a soccer game. And I think Megan feels like if I'm on this stage, it's not just because of soccer, it's because of these stances that I've taken, but there's a lot of other people that are also standing up for things and are also facing discrimination, and I want to make sure that I give a nod to them and also challenge other people to support them and to kind of you know, work along with her to raise awareness for the fact that there's a lot of discrimination going on and a lot of injustice and that we can play a role in um, you know, eradicating that. Yeah. I mean, do you think she's taken on too much? I guess, you know, she's also openly homosexual. She's part of a celebrity homosexual couple with Sue Bird. Does she feel like she has to be a spokesman for, for the lesbian population as well? Does, does she kind of feel like I've got to focus my energy here, not here? How does she deal with all that? I don't think she looks at it that way. I think she wants to sort of be authentic, and when she feels like speaking up about an issue, she's going to speak up about it. I understand, like, your your 
question is like, how does she stay on top of all of these topics? And I sometimes wonder that too. Like, how are you so informed about everything, right? Like, how do you have an answer and and enough knowledge? And the answer is just that she, she reads a lot. She tries to read, you know, the headlines in the New York Times, at least the headlines every day. And she listens Mm -hmm. to Pod Save America. And for her, self-care is kind of educating herself about the issues in our country and also internationally. She doesn't ever want to say, hey, I don't want to answer that question. So she makes sure she knows that she's going to be asked about a lot of these topics, and she makes sure she's educated enough to have a good answer for them. And I do think that's sometimes stressful. I mean, during the Victory Tour, I remember they were all in New York, and they had the parade the next day, and the rest of her teammates were at a rooftop pool in Manhattan. They were having a big pool party, and Megan was there totally sober because she had to do all the nighttime talk shows. She was going on Rachel Maddow and Anderson Cooper, and she couldn't party that day because she was not only going to be on TV, but also talking about heavier issues. She wasn't just right. talking about the soccer tournament. So she was a little stressed in that moment, her sister said, because she just wants to make sure she's saying the right thing and that she's informed and that the opinions that she's sharing, because they will travel so far, she wants to make sure that they're, they're fully informed. Um, and so I do think it's a, it can be a little bit of a burden, but to her, it would be much worse to not speak up when you have the opportunity to. So that's how she sort of balances that. You know, she feels like I would, I would feel worse if I wasn't taking advantage of this voice that I have um, and this opportunity that I've been given to speak up. Yeah, and you said she's seizing the moment, but she must turn down a lot too. Did you get a sense of... You know, she was doing the glamour shoot and she was doing, obviously, the uh, the SI shoot and these award shows. And I saw her at the ESPYs. Did you get a sense of how much she turns down as well? I think she was saying that it's hard for her to turn down certain things, especially if, hey, you know, she's trying to secure her financial future. And right. Some of the, the payouts for these things are things that she never thought was possible. And also some of the opportunities she's being given are, are things that she dreamed of, you know, like going on with Rachel Maddow and Anderson Cooper, like that was a thrill for her. Right. So she doesn't want to say no to that. And she doesn't want to say no to a corporate speaking engagement that will, you know, help her be stable financially for years to come. So I would say that her schedule is pushed to the max because I'm sure there are some things that she turns down, but only because there's literally no time left in her schedule. I mean, I think she the month that I saw her, she'd been home in Seattle for three days. You know, she's a diamond medallion on Delta because she's been flying across the country this, this the second half of this year. So um, I think her schedule's been really pushed to the max. One thing getting her through is she had a vacation in Mexico planned with Sue uh, last week in November, and she kept saying, all right, just need to get to that point, and I'll have a break. But then she comes back from that, and she's right into it. So Yeah. And how's her training going? I mean, I know she's been fighting uh, a hamstring injury as well. Yeah, she has also um, the hamstring, you know, during the World Cup, and she has kind of a nagging Achilles injury too. So, But she, uh, Sue Bird's trainer, a woman named Susan Borchardt, she's been working with, and Sue obviously has had tremendous results late in her career. And so she's Megan has kind of followed that model and she has basically an app where Susan puts in the workout for the day and Megan makes sure to do it. And, you know, she finds she gets creative with things. Sometimes, you know, the hotel pool at 6 a.m. 
would be a good right. spot for her to do her workout or she's in San Francisco and she'll go to a flywheel class. So, but she's been, uh, they, they try to do six days a week, something in the morning and then some kind of recovery at night. And Hey, if something comes up where her schedule is so crazy that she can't fit it in, then they adjust it. But by she, she sought out this trainer, I would sometime this fall because she felt herself, she, she needed someone to sort of keep her on schedule because of how crazy her itinerary was. And I think it's really been working for her. Last couple of questions, Jenny. Does she really um, dye her hair with a dye bought at Walmart? Well, it was like a touch-up, you know. So she started, <laughs> she has a salon in Seattle, and the day before she left for the World Cup, she walked in, and they, that's when they first dyed it pink. But then she's on the road, right, for the next five, six weeks, because, you know, they had a couple friendlies first, and then they go to France, and then they're celebrating, and... So she was sort of using this purple hair mask, which kind of shifted the pink a little bit more purple, and she couldn't really get in for another dye job. And so I think her last appointment was maybe in September or October. So we did the shoot in early November, and, you know, she's got this brown undergrowth. She's got to touch up the color. And so the easiest thing to do is to just get a thing from Walmart. But, yeah, because she can't. You know, ideally, you'd be going into the salon every couple of weeks to get it touched up, and she's got short hair also, but she hasn't had time for that. So she just makes do with what she can, and it's 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 hilarious to me. She, you know, she's on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and that morning she's sitting in, like, the bathroom in this hotel suite, and, you know, the, the hair and makeup uh, person was kind of, you know, putting this Walmart dye in to kind of even <laughs> out the hair color. So. <laughs> yes. That's a nice. She should get a uh, a nice uh, endorsement out of Walmart for that. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, last question I have to ask. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about the pose. So the pose uh, was it a spur of the moment thing? Is she embarrassed by it now? Is it? Uh, does she feel it's her signature that she's got to use in the next world, in the Olympics, and whenever she plays again? Tell me about the pose. Yeah. So it actually, the first time she did it was at a, in a friendly in April in Denver against Australia. And at that point in time, it was just kind of, it was a goal celebration. The game had been back and forth. She scored a goal that put the U.S. up and it was kind of a, are you not entertained? You know, this is a fun soccer match. But she didn't use it again until after the world, or t- until during the World Cup. And it was the France match right after Donald Trump had publicly questioned her on Twitter for saying that she wouldn't go to the White House. And so I do think it was a response to that. And it definitely became something more, just like her year became something more. It evolved over time. It took on more meaning. In that moment, it's, it's defiance. It's, you're not going to steal our joy. It's, this is me. You know you love it. I'm putting myself out there to the world. I'm taking up space in front of you. And I'm basically forcing you to confront me and who I am. And so I think she loves it. You know, I, I was at some youth camps with her, and all the kids are doing the pose, and Megan's doing the pose, and I don't think she gets tired of it. I'm not sure she'd use it for the Olympics because, to be honest, like, she's really big on, like, keeping things fresh and keeping her message fresh, and so I feel like that's her 2019 thing. I mean, maybe if there's a big moment in the Olympics, she'll pull it out again, but I, I, Megan always seems to be adjusting her message over time and thinking of new things and evolving so I would be surprised if she didn't have something new cooked up for the Olympics. <laughs> yeah, we'll look forward to that. Jenny, this has been great. Jenny, um, I encourage everyone to read this article, cover stories, Sports Illustrated, the Sports Person of the Year. 
Megan Rapino. It's just a great look at someone that has been somewhat polarizing, but take a deeper look at the empathy and some of the views she has and where she came from. I thought it was great. And great to have you, Jenny. We're the, uh, we're the last Mohicans at the MMQB, you and me. That's right. That's right. No, it's, it's wild, but I'm, I'm glad that we're, we're both still here, and I appreciate you, t- you having me on to talk today, Andrew. Always a pleasure. You take care, and, and great job with the article. Really hope you enjoyed that with Jenny. She's a good friend. She's a colleague. She's a great writer, a real advocate for women in sports writing, and she does a great job, always has. Now, word from Bet Online. You know what time it is. It's early December, and in the sport I cover most, every NFL game means everything right now. It's all on the lines. Visit our good friends, exclusive partner, Podcast One, betonline.ag. We'll take you to the best bonuses in the business. Again, your promo code is PODCAST1 for your 50% sign-up bonus. You can bet on the best matchups of the year in NFL Week 14. You've got the Rams at Dallas. Buffalo at Pittsburgh, Houston at Tennessee, India at New Orleans. Get to betonline.ag. Podcast one, all caps, for your 50% sign-up bonus today. Betonline.ag. And that'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Really enjoyed talking to Jenny Ventress. Appreciate the music from Sam Brandt. The producer extraordinaire of this podcast is Brian Neal. Appreciate all the rankings and comments at Apple Podcasts. Really appreciate when you make a comment and give us a good ranking if you would. And appreciate the follow at Andrew Brandt on Twitter. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.